0: Hi there, and welcome to Satisfied Self Podcast, a podcast for persistent women who are trying to kick butt at life by better understanding and conquering their struggles one day at a time. I'm Caitlin, and I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker in private practice in Boston. And thanks for joining me for another episode of Satisfied Self. Welcome to episode 10 of Satisfied Self Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about the practice of mindfulness and just generally slowing down in life. A couple of weeks ago, I went away on a trip, and I made an honest effort to slow down. I left you guys with a couple of mini episodes while I was away to kind of bridge that gap and um, give you a kind of glimpse into my efforts to unplug um, I unplugged, I put away to-do lists and I allowed myself to read for pleasure, to fully enjoy conversation and to sleep more than I have in a long time. It was glorious and I wish it, I could do it more and I wanted to talk about mindfulness and slowing down today because after having just practiced it and done it myself, um, I it just really kind of came to the surface for me again about how, how important it is and mindfulness is something that i I incorporate in my practice with clients quite frequently. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So starting this podcast um, and Satisfied Self as a whole, um, which also includes um, additional content and and coaching, um, it came about as I was in the throes of planning a wedding and carrying a full caseload in my um, solo private practice. So some might say I overcommitted. (laughs) Um, I wondered that sometimes, too. Um, but they were all things that I felt really passionate about. So while sometimes it definitely felt like too much, most of the time it just felt like I was super busy doing things that I wanted to be doing. Sometimes, though, I felt so busy that I got overwhelmed if I thought more than a week ahead or sometimes even more than a couple days ahead. I had that kind of all-too-familiar feeling of racing from one thing to the next, constantly sprinting um, to the next time I had a day off. I'd kind of pick my head up after a day's work and be amazed that somehow 10 hours had gone by. Um, But I know that's not enough for me. I'm not fulfilled and I feel like I'm missing out on life when I'm on autopilot jumping from one thing to the next until I'm in my bed at the end of the day and don't even know how I got there. I definitely needed um, to get more effective at slowing down when I could. So slowing down is something that our society and work culture in the U.S. just don't typically support, but it's so important. So I want to start off by first talking about um, what is mindfulness. Uh, We hear about it a lot colloquially. It's a really kind of hot topic right now. Um, But what does it actually mean um, in its truest form? It's actually core to um, Buddhism. It's this concept that can be traced back as far as the 5th century B.C. So it's very old. And it first appeared in the Thirty Seven Factors of Enlightenment, which is the Buddha's most essential teachings. Um, so, who made mindfulness really kind of very popular in our culture is um, a gentleman called uh, John, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. He was a professor of medicine emeritus at the um, actually UMass Medical School. Um, And he offers one of the most widely used definitions of mindfulness today when we think about it in terms of um, usefulness in everyday life. And that's paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. Two parts of that um, description of mindfulness I think are super important in in really understanding it. One is um, present moment, and the other is non-judgmentally paying attention. So The present moment thing it can be hard for a lot of people and it's especially hard for people who struggle with anxiety because anxiety wants you to either stay in the past or get moving on to the future so living in the present is something that can be really tough for people and especially in our society we're jumping from one thing to the next we're running to work or running home it's not often that we actually pay attention to exactly what's going on in the present moment Um, and the other piece is the non-judgmental part Um, we we observe our thoughts um All the time. And most of the time when we're actually observing them, we're judging them. So we're not just kind of letting them flow over us, kind of paying attention to what's going on right now. We are passing judgment constantly on the way we think and what we're doing. So The non-judgmental aspect of mindfulness is also something that's really tough for some people and comes really contrary um, to what feels natural. So instead of passing judgment, having an opinion on something, you are really just trying to be present in the moment and not judge whatever it is that's happening, whatever it is that's coming to mind for you. So there are a lot of effects of mindfulness that have been shown. Um, Scientists have proposed that... um, the health benefits of mindfulness are caused by kind of four interrelated factors, and those are attention regulation, body awareness, change of perspective on the self, and emotional regulation. It's been shown that with mindfulness exercise, people experience less rumination, they experience stress reduction, um, they, it boosts uh, their working memory, their focus, improve relationship satisfaction, and, then, and you know so much more. There's also a lot of research on uh, mindfulness effectiveness when it comes to addictions and weight loss or eating. So mindful eating is becoming very popular right now. With things like weight loss and eating and addictions, a lot um, of what's associated with that is, is that cycle of craving um, and satisfying. And so when you're actually able to be aware and in the present with what's going on in your body, you begin to be able to gain a lot more control over um your decisions that way. Um so there's there's a lot of research out there on mindfulness, and not all of it is really good. Uh, but the gold standard research studies um show a few things. They show that there is less mind wandering and distractibility among people who practice uh regular mindfulness. So it's kind of like a feedback loop. The more mindfulness practice you um you engage in, the more easily uh, you will begin to be able to focus and um, probably practice mindfulness more effectively. Um, Folks who practice mindfulness uh, in regular routines, they show better concentration, um, even when multitasking. Uh, Multitasking is something that research has shown is really, really hard, basically not even really doable for most people. Um, But apparently when you practice mindfulness regularly, that you're able to concentrate even when you're trying to do more than one thing at once. Studies have shown that those who practice meditation um, actually have sort of a less excitable amygdala, and that's the part of the brain that is responsible for interpreting um, certain inputs maybe as threats, um, and that is what drives our fight, flight, or freeze response. So somebody who is doing more practice um, in regular meditation is going to have a more um, kind of agile amygdala. Um, so those implica- that implication is that um, you begin to have more psychological flexibility. You're able to more effectively respond um, to a situation um, more efficiently, essentially, and show less reactivity. So you're not going to just see an input and automatically think it's a threat. Even if it's not, your amygdala is going to get better at discerning the difference. That can be a really important thing for people who've experienced trauma, Um, any sort of PTSD diagnosis for whatever sort of reason, their fight, flight, or freeze responses can be off the charts Um, and incorporating a little bit of mindfulness, usually with the help of a professional, which I'll talk about later about why that's necessary for people who've been through trauma. Um, But incorporating mindfulness can help people kind of recalibrate that system. So those who practice mindfulness also show stronger working memory. And working memory is basically the short-term memory um, that kind of does, in the moment, thought processing. Um, So they did a study that showed that um, among college students who practice mindfulness, um, their graduate school entrance exam scores increased by 16%. The gold standard studies also realized that a lot of mindfulness practice incorporates um, kind of an intentional attitude of kindness. Um, and they found that this approach has been shown to lead more um, lead to more activity actually in the brain circuitry for caring, for generosity, um, and leads to a greater likelihood of helping others in need. Um, so it kind of helps uh, enhance the qualities of kind of good citizens. So I want to talk a little bit about how mindfulness actually works. How do these benefits come about? So we need to go back to uh, what I mentioned before, which is that um, several scientists believe that there are actually four interrelated factors that are part of how mindfulness works. One is attention regulation. The other is body awareness. Then change in perspective on the self and emotional regulation. So attention regulation is basically the ability to maintain awareness on an object. It's can you how long can you actually sustain attention on one certain thing? Body awareness is um, kind of similar. It's it's the ability to monitor body sensations. So how aware are you of what you're feeling in your body? How aware are you of any pain you might feel or tightness? Um, How attached are you and and kind of attuned to your body sensations? Change in the perspective on the self is basically the ability to um, alter the way you see yourself. When we look back to the roots of mindfulness in Buddhism, um, we see that um, in Buddhism, there is a belief that um, that this, when people believe that the self is kind of permanent unchanging, that tends to be the core cause of psychological distress. So mindfulness is thought to actually increase people's abilities to um, see the self as a more fluid thing, as um, evolving, as changing, um, which can lead to enduring happiness when you believe that you are capable of change and improvement and fluidity. And then the last uh, component of mindfulness is the emotional regulation. And that's the ability to basically adjust emotional responses through a variety of um, kind of skills and techniques. Um, So it's, you know, when someone yells at you, are you just triggered to respond in a certain way to the point where you feel like that emotion has control over you? Or are you able to make the decision on how you want to react um, and and kind of which emotion you want to play out in that moment? So those four components, the attention regulation, the body awareness, the change um, in perspective of self, and uh, the emotion regulation, those are the four components of mindfulness that as those things become strengthened, um, then the mindfulness benefits um, begin to be seen more. So we hear about mindfulness all the time. We see all these write-ups about how great it is. But why is it so hard for so many people? I recommend mindfulness to so many of my clients, and I can just sometimes sense the eye roll that I see across the room from me. Um, Some people see, still see this as kind of like a crunchy thing as kind of like a, I don't know, a kind of too touchy feely and not really scientific. Um, but the reality is that we have research that shows kind of the extensive benefits that, that are possible, um, from regular mindfulness practice. So I often hear from people that they don't have time, um, that it's too hard Uh, that they can't sit still, that they can't quiet their minds, um, that they try for a couple of days and they fall off. They're never able to maintain kind of a steady practice. I hear all of this. Um, And the thing about mindfulness is that it's super simple, but it is not easy. So sitting with ourselves without stimulation is really difficult. And I think I've mentioned a study on this podcast Podcast before um, that found that people would actually rather give themselves slight electric shocks over sitting alone with their thoughts. <laughs> we have a really hard time uh, without stimulation and with kind of sitting quietly by ourselves, and especially uh, kind of in 2017 with all the technology with cell phones. So many of us are attached to our um, our cell phones, our smartphones, and the way I talk to my clients about it is that. Practicing mindfulness is—it's kind of like it, it. You can think of it as a muscle, um, and when it doesn't get flexed, when it doesn't get worked out very much, it feels pretty weak. So if it's something that you don't practice often, it's going to feel hard. It's going to be tough. That sustained attention, that body awareness—it's not easy, and it doesn't necessarily come um, come really easily to people, especially people who've you know are struggling with with anxiety, depression, trauma histories. Um, it's something that needs to be worked out and like exercise, even when you do it often, a certain run or a certain class can still feel super hard and surprise you. So just because you practice mindfulness regularly doesn't even necessarily mean that it gets easy all the time, but it is a muscle that needs to get flexed. Um, and it can be hard for people to kind of begin that process and stick with it. I talked in a previous podcast on healthier habits that, um, it's a myth that habits only take 21 days to form. They actually take much longer. So trying to create a steady mindfulness practice is going to take a while and kind of keeping at it, maintaining that motivation is going to be necessary to get to the place where it can be a consistent practice and then you can reap the benefits, um, but I think that feels really intimidating to people, and that feels really hard. Um, and I am right along there with all of you that mindfulness, I see the benefits. I think it's amazing. I recommend it to my clients all the time. Um, and I struggle to maintain a, a consistent practice of um, kind of mindfulness meditation. Um and so, in a little bit, I'm going to talk about um, how that's actually not the only type of mindfulness that you have to practice. You don't have to be sitting in a room um, quietly for 10 minutes. But before I get there, I do want to um, talk about a really important point with mindfulness: is that it is not. Um, there are times when mindfulness is not the answer. It's not a magic bullet. And overnight effects are just not realistic. If that's what you're looking for, if you are practicing mindfulness because you are in a, an acute stage of um, anxiety, the effects are going to be fleeting, and they're not going to be um, kind of long-lasting or withstanding, and they're not going to help fix everything that's going on for you. Mindfulness can't replace oppression, objectification, abuse, powerlessness. None of that can be fixed with mindfulness. Mindfulness. Um, we see so much about this sexual harassment and sexual assault in the news these days and, and sitting down and meditating by yourself is not going to be something that can fix an experience with that or your emotional processing of hearing about these stories or having lived one yourself. When there are injustices, we need to do more than just meditate. Um, however, in less extreme circumstances that are distressing, um, but difficult to change. Say maybe you're a caregiver um, for a sick loved one. Um, mindfulness can be a little bit more appropriate there. Um, so mindfulness will not be the answer to systemic um, or institutional um, kind of oppression or um, abuses. And another important time when mindfulness is, might not be the answer is that is when people have difficult or really extensive histories of trauma or abuse. Um, meditation practice um, may put those people in touch with those memories and emotions, which they maybe haven't had to access in a long time. And that can sometimes feel really overwhelming, particularly at first. So with the clients I work with um, who may have um, histories of trauma or abuse, we tread very, very lightly on um, true kind of like meditative mindfulness. Um, Breathing exercises can be difficult, body awareness has a whole new kind of meaning for people who have a difficult relationship with their body. So I want to put that plug in there. You hear stories about people going to yoga classes and kind of becoming extremely emotionally overwhelmed and that's because they might be accessing body memories that they haven't had to before and when they increase their body awareness when they are in the present moment when they're paying attention um, to their kind of perception of self some of those memories can be accessed which can be really um, scary sometimes especially if it's one of the first times you're doing that so if you're someone who struggles um, with maybe a history of abuse or trauma Um, and you're interested in mindfulness or meditation, I would encourage you to seek out um, programs that are trauma-informed. In Boston here, we do have a bunch of programs that offer trauma-informed yoga. Um, You can find trauma-informed body workers, um, who basically perform uh, massage um, on people from a trauma-informed perspective, understanding how histories of trauma or abuse can impact people and their relationships with their bodies. So mindfulness is is not always going to be the answer um, if you are someone who has a history of trauma or abuse. Um, but it, it also doesn't mean that you can't... Um, that you're kind of excluded from trying this practice, not at all. It just might mean that you want to tread carefully in the beginning and be really kind of tune in with yourself and check in with yourself and don't push it if it's feeling too hard. So what does mindfulness look like in practice? Um, I mentioned before that uh, I wanted to talk later about uh, you know, what does mindfulness look like? Is it only sitting down for 10 minutes, for 30 minutes, for 60 minutes a day in complete silence in an empty room? No, Uh, that's really not going to be realistic for a lot of people today. And that's what a lot of my clients tell me. That's too hard. That takes up too much time. They don't have quiet space, especially for some of my young moms who I work with. So it's not about just sitting still or moving slowly. Uh, Mindfulness um, is about kind of bringing attention to this moment, um, whether it's in stillness or in movement. Um, It's more than just kind of sitting in silence and meditating. I tell my clients all the time, you can be mindful throughout any part of your day doing activities that you normally do every day. So you can practice mindfulness when you are working out. You can practice mindfulness when you're cooking, when you're walking, when you're driving, when you're doing the dishes. It's really about the four things um, that I mentioned before. It's kind of tuning into Um, the attention regulation so being in the present moment actually sustaining attention on what you're doing about being aware of your body as you're doing it so what does it feel like as your feet are touching the pavement as you walk um, from your house to the tea? what does it feel like as the water is flowing over your hands as you're doing the dishes it's not often that we actually pay attention to those things um And it's about the emotional regulation and the perspective on self. So kind of being the observer of of yourself in that moment. So if sitting alone in a quiet room for 10 minutes, listening and paying attention to your breathing feels like a too hard of a place to start, that doesn't mean that you have to write off mindfulness altogether. There are lots of different activities out there. If you do a Google search, you can find a bunch of ways to be mindful. Actually, the New York Times has a column Um, that talks about how to be mindful, doing all sorts of activities. So it's not just sitting in silence, sitting in stillness. uh, Mindfulness can be done in so many other contexts. So I want to leave you the challenge, um, a mindfulness-based challenge. So I want you to try a mindfulness practice that doesn't involve sitting in a room quietly by yourself Um, and to start to learn all the different types of ways that you can practice it, even when you have kind of like an on-the-go, super busy life. Um, If you're doing your dishes tonight, if you're folding laundry, if you are rolling out whatever it is that you're doing, try bringing awareness to the present moment, becoming aware of um, kind of your inner self, observe what you're doing non-judgmentally, let the thoughts kind of come and go and just kind of notice how that feels for you. So that brings me to the end of episode 10 of the Satisfied Self podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here again. And I want to just remind you that anytime you want to listen to any past uh, podcast episodes, you can visit um, the Satisfied Self website, which is satisfiedself.com. You can listen to podcasts directly on the website, or you can listen to them via SoundCloud, Google Play, um, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, all the episodes are available on all of those players. Um, I also invite you to, um, visit my Patreon page. Um, Patreon is how, um, I'm able to make Satisfied Self possible, um, by donations from women in the community who want to hear more and read more from me. Um, You can access um, content on there um, in addition to the podcast episodes. And if you're interested, you can also donate to the show um, on there and gain access to even more exclusive content, um, including mindfulness recordings and things like that. So come back and visit me next week for episode 11 of the Satisfied Self podcast. And I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks. Thanks.